All right, so um, I was preaching across in Narendra this morning, and, and you know, as a preacher, when you, when you put together a sermon, you think, man, it's like this platter of awesome dessert that I'm going to serve up to everyone. And then you preach it, and you realise that what you thought was a platter of dessert is actually a bit more like a kale smoothie, all right? <laughs> so really healthy and really good for you but maybe not really sweet to the taste. <laughs> okay, so strap yourselves in. We're on for a bit of a ride this morning. Okay, um, might hit a little bit of turbulence occasionally. Okay, really hope you don't find yourself looking out the window a bit bored, wondering if we're going to land yet, all right? <laughs> um, just we're, we're in for a bit of a journey, but this is a really um, valid, like significant and important journey we need to go on. And... Um, we're actually starting our series on the book of Genesis, all right? So over the next little while, we'll be slowly working our way through Genesis. And I think the book of Genesis over the years has grown on me as a, a Christian to become one of my most favourite books in the Bible, and particularly Genesis 1 and 2, because I think it's actually one of the most useful chapters for us. Genesis 1 and 2 gives me real wisdom for knowing um, what's the right answer. There are so many big, difficult, complex questions that we have to navigate in our, our current society and culture, aren't there? Um, there's questions about you know, humanity and faith and sexuality and gender and meaning and purpose and identity. And, and it can be hard as a, as a believer to know, well, what, what should I think about all of this stuff? What is good and true and right? And I think you'll find that Genesis, particularly Genesis 1 and 2, gives you a framework or a lens through which to answer some of those questions. What I also want us to do in this series on Genesis is to see the link between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I want us to see that the story of Jesus is part of the story of Genesis. Jesus was actually there in the beginning. Okay, and I want us to really grasp hold of that. Jesus wasn't just a new superhero that God invented, um, you know, for the sequel to the story. It, it, Jesus was there right at the start. So we're going to put on our Genesis 1 glasses and we're going to see uh, what God actually wants in this world and exactly how you fit into that. How does that sound? A bit of Sunday afternoon theology? Yeah. There's nowhere else you'd rather be, right? <laughs> Across this series, this is what we're going to see in a bit of a nutshell. You're going to see that whatever happens at face value or at the surface, there's actually another truth and reality at work. God is a God who takes chaos and darkness and he creates beauty and order. And he invites you into a special relationship with him. And even though you and others are going to fail, and are going to fall, God's good plans will prevail. I mean, that's good news right there, isn't it? Whatever is happening on the surface of your life today, there's another truth and another reality at work. And perhaps you don't see it. Perhaps you have to look kind of hard to find it, but God's goodness is at work in your life. To be able to understand what Genesis is saying to us today, we first have to understand what Genesis meant or was saying to the original readers of Genesis. And they were the, the Hebrews. And Genesis was written um, to the Hebrews as kind of an answer to the wider spiritual, cultural influences of the day. So the surrounding cultures, 
um, around the Hebrew uh, nation were very spiritual and had various different beliefs about how the gods operated. So they um, thought things like, you know, the gods had varying amounts of control or influence in the world and that the gods were always warring against one another. And so there's always this underlying sense of, well, whose god will win? My god? Your god? His god? All right. So the gods were always sort of vying against one another. Um, they also, the, the cultures also believed that humanity was created as an accidental afterthought in some sort of cosmic battle of the gods. And, and really what that means is that there was no inherent value or worth to humanity. So therefore it didn't matter how other people were treated. They also believed that gods came into being through procreation, which led to some rather strange religious ideas about sex and fertility. And they believed that they weren't, the gods weren't eternal or all-powerful. So in that sort of world, anything could happen. There's no order in that sort of world, is there? Everything is unpredictable. Uh, they believed that the gods were quite vindictive, you know, and, and there was that sense of, well, how can I please the gods? How can I make sure they won't get me? What are they going to do to me next? And then, of, of course, um, parts of creation like um, the sun or the moon were actually worshipped as gods. So they worshipped creation itself. And I mean, a lot of those ideas are, are, are quite current and contemporary ideas in, in uh, sort of pagan frameworks that exist today, some of those pantheistic sort of religious beliefs that are, are still quite common today. God's people needed to know and understand who God really was and who they as human beings were and how different the truth about the creator God was compared to the stories and the myths of the surrounding nations. Because the risk was this. The risk was that God's people would take on the religious and the spiritual practices of the surrounding nations. And, and if you read through the Old Testament, you see that that's exactly what ends up happening. The Israelites keep taking on some of the religious, spiritual um, beliefs and gods of the surrounding cultures. And it doesn't work out so well for them, does it? It destroys God's people and it destroys humanity when we turn from what is true and good to what is not true. Do you think that ever happens today? Yeah. You better believe it. <laughs> I mean, if there was a time when Genesis was more relevant, needed and necessary in society, I'm telling you, church, it is now. Okay, we Christians, all right, we really do risk taking on the religious and spiritual practices of our surrounding cultures. And sometimes we can be quite oblivious to it. We need to be aware. We need to know the scriptures. We need to know theology. We need to know who God really is as revealed in scripture. We need to set aside time to wash our minds and our hearts in the truth of the word of God. You know, just yesterday, I was listening to a podcast <clears throat> and it was about the Enneagram. Has anyone come across the Enneagram? It's a personality profile test. There's not like nine different personality traits. And, you know, you might have heard people saying, oh, I'm a number four. Or, I'm a number six or something. Okay. It's actually really popular um, in Christian circles. You, a lot of Christian leaders I've heard of, you know, really utilize the Enneagram as, as something they find um, really helpful and significant. This podcast I was listening to yesterday was actually debating whether the Enneagram is 
um, healthy and appropriate for us as Christians to use because it has its roots in New Age, pagan, occult spirituality. It was actually designed by the New Age movement as a self-enlightenment tool. And us Christians are, are blind and oblivious to some of these um, Trojan horse spiritualities that we let seep into our, our everyday practice and our, and our movements and churches. We need to be aware. I found some research. This is an American study, but I suspect it's really applicable to us in Australia too. Do you know that six in 10 Christians in America, so 60% of American Christians, hold at least one New Age belief. So they believe that things like psychics, reincarnation and astrology are true, relevant and good practices to engage in. 60%. And that's not just kind of one of you know, the other denominations. This is a fairly even split across Protestant, evangelical, mainline, Catholic um, Christians in America. Six in ten hold to at least one New Age belief. I mean, that's that's shocking. What about closer to home? I thought, oh, that's American research. Lord, it would be great to have an example closer to home. <laughs> well, you ask and, and uh, you will receive. And on Friday, someone pointed my attention to a news article in the Griffith newspaper. Okay? Hold on to your seats. Here's where we hit some turbulence, folks. All right? There, there was a recent visit to the Anglican Church in Griffith by a Buddhist monk from the Blue Mountains. The Riverina Bishop and the priest of St Albans in Griffith invited a Buddhist monk to their church to lead them and the community in two hours of Buddhist chanting, blessings and meditation in their church hall. And here's an excerpt from an ad for the event. And, and in, in, in this excerpt from the ad, there's a member of the local Buddhist community talking about what the afternoon is going to involve. So this person says he will start with Buddhist rituals and then guide people through a meditation program to teach them how to meditate using Buddhist techniques. Uh, then the people will have the opportunity to ask uh, you know, the visiting monk any questions about Buddhism or meditation. Then he will finally give blessings to those present called the Pirith to dispel bad omens. Uh, he continues, he says, what originally began as an opportunity to bring this, this uh, venerable you know, Buddhist monk person to Griffith evolved into the idea of sharing the philosophies of Buddhism with the wider community. So they're you know, doing a bit of evangelism there, I suppose, is what that is. And then the, uh, the Anglican bishop is quoted by the Griffith local newspaper as opening the event and saying, welcome to Griffith. Uh, to the monk. Uh, we want to work together in the peace, happiness and wisdom of all. Both the bishop and the priest of St Albans participated in the afternoon of guided chanting and meditation. The Riverina Anglican Diocese is effectively, it would appear, hosting and participating in evangelistic meetings for the local Buddhism community. I mean, I can't see any other way to read that. It seems that to me, even people of faith who are Christian, we need a reminder about who the true God really is. In a church, we've got to put on our Genesis 1 glasses. 
We've got to teach our kids and our family and one another to to do so too. We must be spirit-filled and biblically literate or one day we're going to be in a church hall somewhere chanting with the local monk. You know, we need to be able to answer the question, who is God? How does he work in this world? What about other religions? Where does spiritual power come from? What should I believe about gender and sexuality and identity? Who am I? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Why should I live in a certain way? We need to read and understand Genesis. There are two things I want you to take hold of from Genesis 1 and 2 this afternoon. One is who God is. Okay, Who God is. God is a good God who created and controls all things. Secondly, who we are. Okay, Humanity is made in his image to fill the earth with his good image, to rule and care for the world with God. Who God is, who we are. That's what we need to take away this afternoon. And we're going to have a look at Genesis chapter 1. I really encourage you to to read along with me so you can uh, quickly refer to these verses If you prefer a paper copy, feel free to grab one of these off Steve there. Sometimes a paper copy is easier to go off, isn't it, hey? So Genesis chapter 1, page 1, starting verse 26 through to 31. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seeds in it. They will be yours for food. And to the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, Everything that has breath, the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. So who is God? Well, it might be stating the obvious, but God is the creator. Everything and everyone. And we see there that after creating the earth and the sky and the the sea and the plants and the, the, the animals and the fish, God creates mankind. Verse 27, if you have a look there, you see three very short sentences. And in those three short sentences, you see the word created three times. There's sort of a, a, a rhythm and a repetition there that's a bit like poetry, isn't it? And I think it's, there's a real emphasis there on the word created. So God created. In the image of God, he created them. 
male and female, he created them. There's a real emphasis that we had to take notice of, of there. And I think the emphasis is this, that, that God intended to make humanity. We weren't a, an accident or a byproduct of creation. We were actually the climatic highest point of creation. You know, when everything else in the world was ready, God then makes his peace de resistance. <laughs> he makes his best thing. He makes you. Hey? He makes you. Did you know that you are the high point, the best part of God's creation? Wow. And if you ever ask the question, well, why am I here? The answer is because God wants you here. <laughs> God wants you here. You're not here by accident. Hey, you're the best part of what he's made. So God is our creator. That's such a beautiful, simple, but precious truth, isn't it? What does the New Testament say about creation? And actually, it's interesting. One of the songs we sang there actually sort of sings this little bit. Um, John chapter 1, verse 1. So over in the New Testament... In the Gospel of John, John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. Does that remind you of the start of Genesis, doesn't it? In the beginning. <laughs> Here we are in the New Testament in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you continue reading there in John chapter 1, and I encourage you to do that at home. You'll see that the word becomes flesh and lives amongst us. And of course, this is Jesus that uh, John is referring to. Jesus is not just a man. He is he's God, the creator. He's eternal God. He's almighty and all powerful. Isn't it amazing that God, the creator, steps into his creation and becomes like us, his created beings. John 1 verse 4 says that in him, in this Jesus, there is life. Both in the beginning, but also there's life at the cross. Jesus is the Lord of life. He's the creator of life. He's actually the only one who's qualified to bring us back to life when we go astray, when we go our own way and when we enter into the, the physical and the spiritual darkness of sin and death. If he wasn't the creator, he couldn't do it, could he? But the fact that he is the creator gives us faith and gives us confidence to know that he can and he will do this. He is your life. This is why Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. I reckon we could go a bit louder with that one. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? But you've got to put on your Genesis 1 glasses to see this. If you don't, if you don't, you risk seeing Jesus as some sort of add-on spiritual power a lowercase God rather than a capital G, God. So when someone asks you, well, well why do I need Jesus? Why do I need Jesus? Well, well, what do we answer them? Because he's the life. Life is not found anywhere else 
but in the Word who was there in the beginning. So, number one, God is creator. Two, God is good and he makes good things. Verse 28, you see there in 28 that God blessed them. God blessed humanity. He speaks of our excellence. Uh, to bless means to praise. He, he praises us. He, he, he has his, his, puts his divine favour upon us. God is not at war with us. He wants good things for you. He wants good things for you. Verse 29, <clears throat> um, you know, God gives us this, every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth, every tree that has fruit with seed in it, these will be yours um, for food. So verse 29, God's goodness means that he provides all the things we need to thrive and to do well. And if you read uh, Genesis chapter 2, you'll see that God lovingly plants a garden for his people, this beautiful, lush, abundant um, garden. And uh, it says, you know, they're full of trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Now, it's not just the bare minimum that God gives us here, is it? He could have created a world that just had the bare basics, kind of like Mars but with a better atmosphere or something. No, he creates beauty. Doesn't that just astound you? He creates an abundance of good things to sustain life but to also ensure that life thrives. You keep reading um, Genesis chapter 2, you'll see that um, not only are our physical needs taken care of but also our social needs, our intellectual needs, our emotional needs and our spiritual needs are too. God provides holistically for us so that we can thrive and be satisfied and be content. And then let's have a look at verse 31. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Um, if there was still a question in your mind as to God's intent towards you or your thoughts or his thoughts towards you, this should settle it. Okay, did you notice that if you read Genesis 1, the rest of creation is declared good and it was good and it was good and it was good. But when he makes humanity, he says it's very good. Nothing's there by accident. The Bible doesn't waste words. Every word that is there in the scriptures is significant. We are very good. Now that men and women have been created, God, uh, creation is very good. God delights in you. And, and I think it's probably saying the obvious to say that, that God is good. I know that you've heard that a few times before. But this is the first thing you will doubt when things in your life are going wrong. You know, when you get sick, what do you do? You doubt God's goodness to you. You doubt his provision for you. It's, it's the first thing that um, others will attack God over. Well, if God is so good, why is there suffering? If God is so good, why is there sickness? Um, chapter 3, when we get to chapter 3 in the fall, we'll see how Satan actually um, gets Eve to doubt God's goodness to her and that causes her to sin. Okay, so we've got to get this stuff really settled in here. God is good and he does good things on your behalf. 
God will provide for you. You can look to him. You know, you can look to him to provide for you. Um, Back to the Gospels, back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 16, it says, Out of his fullness, so we're, we're talking about Jesus, remember? Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Jesus, out of his completeness and fullness, provides for us what we lack. There's already a grace and a blessing upon us, isn't there, as human beings who are made in his image. Remember we said and God blessed them, okay? So there's already a grace and a blessing upon us as human beings. But after Genesis 3, we need a fresh touch of that grace and blessing, don't we? We need a new grace in the place of the grace that was already given. And what is that new grace that we receive? Well, it's forgiveness. It's redemption. It's being made new by his death and his resurrection, by the the power of the Spirit and receiving life in his name. Jesus was there in the beginning blessing us. And for all those who call him Saviour, he continues to do that today. There is a fresh grace for you today and every day. Wow. That's good news right there. People need to hear this stuff, church. Do you need a fresh touch of that grace today? Are you hungry to just receive from Jesus today? Verse 27. Um. Oh, back to Genesis, sorry. Back to Genesis. Chapter 1? Yeah, yeah, chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There is a great value and worth and dignity um, given to us, not just as generic humans, but as people created male and female. Remember what I said, nothing in the biblical text is there by accident. And so it's important to see here that this maleness and femaleness is is emphasised here. It's important to see that there is an equal, important and significant value in being male or female. One is not more important than the other. There is a dignity and an equality that God gives both genders. It's helpful It's essential for us to see that in God's created order, there are men and women, not just a generic people. There is a sort of an equal but opposite balance and beauty to creation, isn't there? The world wouldn't work with only a moon and no sun. The world's not going to work with only a sea and no land. The world doesn't work with only men and no women. The world we live in is increasingly wanting to, um, at best, see gender as irrelevant or at worst, erase it completely. And it's important that we see and celebrate the goodness of God's creation of men and women. It is good and right to celebrate our physical gender. God made it. It's his intended purpose that we are created as men or women. That's how he designed the world to work. And it's a beautiful and a good part of the world. 
This should be the, the glasses through which we filter questions and issues that our society raises about gender, about roles, about marriage and about lifestyles. And so when we ask the question, well, why should I live in a certain way? What should I believe about gender? The answers are here in Genesis. God is creator, okay? And God is good and he created good things. He made you. So that's the first part, who is God? So on to the second part now, who are we? Firstly, we are his image bearers. You can see that we've read the verses a few times. Verse 26, verse 27, it, it talks about making mankind in our image, um, being created in the image of God. It's with God's image that we are placed into this world. So you know what? Next time you're having a bad, like, bad hair day, a bad you day, a bad whatever day, remember, you bear God's image. The next time you think, oh, I'm hopeless, I can't, there's nothing special about me. Come on, we've all been there. There's nothing significant about me. Wrong. You bear the image of God. There is significance and value and dignity that comes from that. And I want you to know that, and the, you know, from the bottom of your heart. Nothing else in creation bears God's image. The fish certainly don't bear it. The giraffes don't bear it. The trees don't bear it. Only people. We are special. You are special. Don't let the world tell you otherwise. So one, we are his image bearers. Two, we are to fill the world with God's image. Okay? We are to fill the world with God's image. Verse 28, after God blesses us, what does he say to us? He says, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We are to fill the earth. We are to flourish and fill. And I think this is uh, partly a numerical thing. So we're to have offspring. Um, and, and really even the rest of creation is given a similar mandate. Um, birds, fish, vegetation is to reproduce itself and fill the earth. And for me, what I, what I think when I hear that is I think, you know, when we see society celebrate or enable ways of living that hinder or disrupt humanity's ability to reproduce and have offspring, we need to put on our Genesis 1 glasses to see that God's creative intent for the world is that everything um, from seed-bearing plants to fish to birds to animals to us has been designed in unique and special ways as male and female to be able to reproduce. And I'm sure you could think of some different ways our society hinders humanity's collective ability to reproduce. And they're quite varied. So it's a numerical thing, but it's also a flourishing thing. So in God's economy, there's... Um, there's to be a, a prolific abundance. We are to be successful. We are to thrive. We are to do well. Like, and this isn't 
prosperity doctrine stuff. This is, this is creation stuff. It's actually only after the fall that there's a, a scarcity and a poverty and a, a toil and a difficulty and a striving and a sweat and a hardship become part of the human experience. That's not what God intended in the beginning. God wants his image to cover the earth. Why do you think that is? Why would God want his image everywhere? You know, the earth belongs to God, right? It's his, isn't it? And when your image is on something, it demonstrates that you own it. It, it, you think about the coins that you have in your wallet or your purse. Whose image is on the coin? The queen's, okay? And that demonstrates her sovereign power, her rule over a nation, doesn't it? And so it's the same things going on here. Um, God wants his image across the earth because it demonstrates his sovereign rule and power over the nation, over creation. So it's good for it's also good for his image to be across um, the earth because this is how the earth will flourish and do best. This is how God designed the world to work. So we are image bearers. We are to fill the world with God. And thirdly, we are to rule and care for creation in partnership with God. And uh, verse 26 Verse 20, 28, again, we read them just before. Um, we are to uh, fill the earth and subdue it. We are to rule over the fish in the sea, the birds, etc., etc. Now, I don't know about you, but these words subdue, and some translations use words like um, have dominion over, sounds a little bit harsh, do you reckon? I don't know, like I... I sort of, it sounds a little bit negative and destructive somehow. Have dominion over, subdue. Um, <clears throat> but what we need to remember is this. When we are marked with God's image and we, when we are, have his character and his righteousness and his ability, it means that we are to rule and dominate the earth with his goodness, aren't we? Wow, what an amazing place this would be if the world was dominated with the goodness of God. You know, we are to subdue the world um, in the same way God would. And how does God do that? Well, he brings order and structure and beauty and goodness and love to a world that was empty and chaotic and full of darkness. Our ruling and reigning only becomes destructive when we don't do it in partnership with God and when the image of God in us becomes broken and fractured. So, church, when you wonder what is my purpose today and how should I live today, whether that's your daily work or, or whatever it is, I want, you to, I want you to remember this. Live as in such a way to bring beauty, order and flourishing to your part of the world. And really, I mean, that could mean anything from, I don't know, reducing your plastic waste to creating some sort of new system and new workplace that allows people to work better. Like it could be all sorts of things. Live in such a way as to, to bring beauty and order and structure and goodness to this world. As, as Christians, Jesus has given us um, sort of like an extension or a parallel of that, that be fruitful and multiply mandate. 
Um, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. We're almost there. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then God said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them um, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is sort of like our, our parallel um, mandate. Um, Genesis, Genesis 1.28, you know, God bless them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, etc. Well, this is kind of like our, our New Testament Jesus calling version of that. Jesus says, fill the earth with the knowledge and worship of God so that his image and goodness fills the earth. Dominate the world with God's authority. And remember, we're dominating with God's character and God's way of ruling. Fill the earth with his goodness. Show people how to live God's way, not their own way, because this is how the world is going to thrive. It truly is. Sometimes we go chasing after other ways of living and um, new thrilling spiritual experiences. I think um, we get lured into believing we've got a fitting with culture. That's a real temptation, I think, for churches. And I'm not saying that it's 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 wrong to, to a point um, fitting with culture, but, but sometimes we, we kind of make that the main event, the main thing, and we get so caught up in being culturally relevant that we actually become Christianly irrelevant, if that's a sort of good grammar or not. Um, God gives us everything we need to spread his image across the earth. Like why look to other things? Why look to Buddhist monks, for goodness sake? Why look to astrology or psychics or even Enneagrams or all of the other stuff that we seem to try and add on to our, our Christian experience? We should be setting the tone for society and culture. We want to invite people into God's culture, not feeling we should model ourselves after the world's culture. Because, I mean, how did that work out for the Israelites in the Old Testament? If you've had a read, you'll know not so great. Too much of our life is spent investing ourselves into the world rather than drawing aside from the world for a time to allow God to invest into us. It is essential that we take regular time to allow God to um, invest in us. We need to draw aside for Christian meditation on his word for prayer, for worship, for reflection, time for God to speak into us and, and to, to shape our thoughts and to shape our desires. And so this afternoon, if you haven't already done so, as part of you know, drawing aside and allowing God to shape your worldview, I really do want to encourage you to try and get along to this retreat if you can. Register for it this afternoon. This is kind of like the altar call, if you will, all right? Um, if you can't, for whatever reason, make it along to this, get out your phone diary and set aside a day where you can do your own spiritual retreat, your own time with God. I can give you some resources for that if you need it. Um, it's, it's going to be a really relaxed, gentle sort of day. You'll have lots of time just to be still and to recharge and refresh and, and have time um, with God, Okay. You know, it's really important that we're salt and light. 
And, and I think um, the church is, has been, in some quarters, losing its saltiness. Um, we've got a, a really special opportunity to, to make a, a really significant mark in this town. And we do so not because we want to you know, build some glorious big organisation. We, we do so because we know that the world does better when they have Jesus as their Lord, you know? Like we do it because it's good. It's good for people. It's good for our town. Okay, let's pray. Father God, um, yeah, we just thank you so much that, that we can know who we are, that we have been created by you, that um, we are, um, you know, the, the very good part of your creation. Lord, would you just let that truth really um, sink in deep to who we are and how we think? And when things happen in our life that, that challenge our thoughts about your goodness, would you remind us of Genesis 1 and 2? Would you remind us that you are a good God? Would you just stir our faith when it is um, threatened or questioned by circumstances or other people? Lord, we just ask that, that we would be um, a, a group of people who, who know our purpose and place in this world and who are just um, confident about living that out in daily life. So, Father, uh, where there are questions about what is good and what is right, would you just enable us to draw aside and have our lives washed by the truth of the word of God, have our, um, our just uh, spirits sort of just alive to who you are through the, the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Lord, we just rely and trust on, on your spirit's work in our life to bring us wisdom, for us to know what is good and right and, and what is not good and right. And may we be a people who's able to lovingly, um, uh, with wisdom and grace and mercy, Bring your truth and your wisdom to our world and to the wider culture. I just pray your blessing upon um, each person here this afternoon. May they go out in the power and the, the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. May they go out filled, full and, and fresh of the, 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 the understanding that they are loved. And may that just inspire and empower um, beautiful ministry this week in our church and in this town. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.